Hello, this is Jeff Lester, and you're listening to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. This is episode 268, and April finds Graham McMillan and I talking like a couple of fools about topics like the soon-to-dramatically-expand library of DC Universe, the movie's Shazam and Us, The Secret Voice, Volume 1 by Zach Soto, Star Wars Celebration, The Joys of Failed Immersion, What to Avoid When Telling a New God Story, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, how are you? Uh, technically, technically, I am sick, but, uh... (laughs) Jeff, technically, I am sick, too! No, get out, really? Yes! Get out and and many other Jordan Peele projects. Um, Yeah, I've just got like a a minor cold, but it's been enough that it's just left me feeling tired all week. Oh my god, I feel like we have the same thing. All I did today was basically sleep and read comics, uh, and I did a lot more sleeping. Right? It's Yeah, I've just been feeling underpowered, like, for the last seven days. Oh, my God. I, well, that is definitely described the last three or four days for me. So, apparently, we have the same thing. Good grief. Twinsies. Yeah, exactly. Illness twinsies. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it really is as minor for you as it is for me, because apart from... Oh, no, from, it's, it's, it's yeah. really is like, I just feel tired. Mm-hmm. What it really is, is I feel slightly tired, and then it gets like four o'clock and I feel like I could sleep. I, I'm sorry, so can you super, repeat that? Yeah, I, I, I feel tired and then it gets like 4 o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. and I feel like I could sleep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really the extent of it. It's, it's no more than that. So it's, it's very minor for me. Oh, good. I've got a little bit of sort of light fevery thing, like a little bit of little little sweaty, clammy, slash then chills a few minutes later, but very very minor, very minor. So... Huh, well, my goodness. So, yes, well, hopefully we will proceed to um, get better, if only because the people listening (laughs) to this podcast won't have to listen to hours and hours of this. Graham McMillan, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Jordan Peele. I realize we have a very exciting prospect on the table. Both of us have seen the movie Us now, and in theory, we could talk about it. Yes, I was hoping... That A, we talk about that. B, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you had you seen Captain Marvel. And C, I was going to ask you if you'd seen Shazam. Ah, uh, unfortunately for B and C, the answers are no, still no, and no. Uh, but yes, I, Us is great. Have you seen Shazam? Tell me. I did. I saw Shazam last night. And what did you think? I, uh, I was going to say I really enjoyed it, which is true. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to mislead anyone into thinking that it's a great film. Ah. It's a really enjoyable film. Mm-hmm. It's a fun film. It does mm-hmm. exactly what it sets out to do. Right. But I can also see a lot of people being underwhelmed by it. Mm. Uh, it feels very much like I saw someone, and I honestly can't remember who, before it came out and they saw an early screening and they were like, you know, this is a great film for kids apart from it, it's really violent and full of monsters. And the first half of that is true. Mm-hmm. And the second half of that, I think, really depends on where your line is. Mm. Hmm. Uh, like, well, they have the seven deadly sins as, as like, characters in the film. Right. But, like, the idea that they're monsters, I think, is giving kids 
zero credit for being able to recognize like you know CGI and, and, and like bad CGI creatures. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? And it's like they don't really do anything gross, or rather they do, but in such a way that it's it's cartoonish. Mm-hmm. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like you know, they at one point there was one scene which is really tonally off with everything else in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to see it? Should I spoil it? Like, are, are, do you I, think you're I think I probably will end up seeing it, and I think it's perfectly okay for you to spoil. For me. I mean, I, I don't I, know. I, it's an opening weekend movie. Maybe it's really not cool for the well, listeners. Well, it's, it's not a massive spoiler. I see. Um, Savannah gets uh, holds of the, the Seven Deadly Sins, mm-hmm. the, who, like, possess him, but not really. Like, he's in control, but they're, like, they're in his body, and he can call them forth. Right. He goes to confront his father, who is Lionel Luther from Smallville, in this film playing Lionel Luther from Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like he goes to confront his father and his father is like another corporate boss and, and he goes to confront him in the boardroom and there then follows what is like a scene from another film mm. where like the monsters are killing everyone in the board mm-hmm. but you see it from outside and so you hear like screams and the guards looking at it and then all of a sudden like bodies are slammed up against the glass mm-hmm. and it's like it really is like a genuinely odd scene that is out of the thing with everything else in the film mm. but that aside I don't think it's especially scary. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's especially violent or especially horrific. And it does feel, I mean, compared with all the other DC films, aimed at a much younger audience. But honestly, aimed at a younger audience than even the Marvel movies. Really? You know, it's and part of it is the high concept of the film is like a great kid's story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But the themes of the film are also kind of kid's story-esque. You know, um, coming to terms with choosing your family versus the family that you were born into. Mm-hmm. Um, the need to do good, the need to be kind, mm-hmm. the need to not be a jerk, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what Shazam is all about. And so it is, in a weird way, like a perfect kids' film. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they play the superheroics part of it super broadly. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, again, it's it's a million miles away from like Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. You know, like a million miles away from it. Well, I think that was, <laughs> that's a smart choice, certainly. Oh no, I, definitely. And and you know, Shazam works on Shazam's terms most mm-hmm. definitely. Um, and and is like is really charming. Um, even though I knew the end was coming ahead of time, when it happened, I still found myself like really surprisingly. I'm won over by it. And I'm not going to say what that is because that would be a spoiler. Mm. But there's there's part of it which, you know, anyone who's read the Jeff Johns comics mm-hmm. knows it's coming. Mm-hmm. And, but still, when they do it, there's such joyfulness about it mm. that they're like, oh, okay then, sure. Like, I'm signed up for this. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really did enjoy it. Good. That that sounds good. I have to admit, I was I was less than down with it, but there has been mostly, I feel like, generally positive things. Yeah, said I, about I, it. I'm actually surprised by how positive the reviews have been. Again, I think it's a, I think it's a fine film. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun, mm-hmm. but it's also so not reinventing the wheel at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like. 
the idea that like people are get this is getting a, an awful lot of good reviews either says that people are really creating DC movies on a curve, mm-hmm. or people are just ready for like a superhero film where it isn't the end of the world. Well, see, that's it. I I feel like most of the fun superhero movies have done really well at the box office in a way that suggests that people would actually be happy with more fun movies if you can sort of figure out the right way to to do the tone i guess you know right and and i think this film for the most part does do the tone right Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that like honestly i feel that target audience for this film is either you know kids under like eight say Mm. or grand except the grandparents will have such problems with the language oh really Oh, there's a lot of shits in this film. Ah, uh, huh, interesting. Well, hmm. we but w- yeah, like it, it's. I feel that those are the, the like the, the the prime audiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for the movie. I like I said, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was done really well. Oh, that's great. Huh. Well, I, as I haven't seen Captain Marvel, but of course we discussed it on the last podcast a couple of weeks ago. So. Um, let's talk about that other movie that's perfect for eight-year-olds and their grandparents, uh, Jordan Peele's Us. Uh, what did you... It's, it's, yeah? it's ideal for eight-year-olds and their grandparents. Well, if you think about it, it's definitely a family film, you know, so... Um, I, I had a really... Uh, I liked Us a lot. Mm-hmm. I liked Us a lot the more just since I got from seeing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually left the theater pretty unsatisfied. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and I thought that it had a lot of problems, and I thought that it was surprisingly light, mm-hmm. um, and that I, I was I felt like I could see what he was going for, and yet it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like the next day, I was like, I keep thinking about this film a lot. Mm-hmm. I think I like this film a lot more than I thought I did last night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had the I had the same feeling. It's it's a you know as pe- a lot of people smarter people than me have pointed out, it's it's a uh, messy, much messier movie than Get Out, and I don't mean that in terms of blood spilled. Yeah, but yeah I just it's, mean it's not. It's not a gorier movie. It's a much more um, incomplete movie. Yeah, like it's it's more uh, it's messy insofar as there's not the coherence. Like when when I left the film, and we are we're probably going to go into spoilers about this film, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, um, when I left the film. See, when I went to the theater, um, I was really thrown by the uh, how incomplete the mythology seemed. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, you told us too much and yet not enough. Right. Or alternately, like, if you're trying to be, um, you know, if, it, if, it, if they thought that they were explaining everything, they didn't, like, at all. Mm-hmm. And it was this weird thing where it's like, I wish I'd know, either known less or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I wish the scale of the movie had been different. Like, the last shot of the movie kind of made me like it less. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at some point, I'd convinced myself that it was just happening in that city. Mm-hmm. And then the last shot where they're like, no, look, like, the, the tethered are all everywhere. Mm-hmm. I was like, no. Like, <laughs> I, I have more problems now. Right. You know, like, like, I can buy the origin that you gave of the tethered. Mm-hmm. If it's not everywhere in America at once, mm-hmm. or rather, if they don't all rise up at once, mm-hmm. you know, and then the last shot is, you know, you see across the mountains and they're all holding hands. Mm-hmm. 
And I was just like, no, like, no, that's, that's, that breaks it for me somehow. Mm. And I did, I came away very much being like, it was really messy and there were parts that just didn't work and it, it seems like it didn't know what it wanted to be. Mm. But like I said, the next day I was like, but, but, you know, there's this and there's this and, and, and honestly, a lot of, uh, this is going to sound really dumb, but a lot of the reason I kept thinking about it was that fucking Minnie Ruperton song at the end. I could not get out of my head for days. See, and it barely, it didn't apparently stick in my head at all. I was like, oh, right, there's that Minnie Ruperton song. I I have to go back and hear that. So it didn't, it that but, didn't land, which is But weird. like that landed with me, like mm-hmm. that landed with me, even when I was leaving the theater. I was like, fuck, what is the song? Like, I know the song for some reason. I am having this weird sense memory, right. but I don't know why I know the song. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that strange thing. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of the more memorable things for me. But Every time that song came to mind, mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah." And then there was, you know, and then there was this, and and it's really interesting, you know, what what could be read into, yeah, you know, the tether. It's really interesting what could be read into the fact that, uh, you know, Red and Adeline are switched, mm-hmm. which I guessed, which was another thing that made me unsatisfied about the film. Yes, yeah, no, like I, I, like I saw that coming mm-hmm. actually really early. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I felt, I felt unsatisfied by that as well. Mm-hmm. Like it was one of the things where I was like, uh, I not that I left the theater going, I'm smarter than this movie, mm-hmm. but I left the theater unsatisfied because I was like, I wish there had been another twist, or you hadn't gone for that twist, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, like the, the, the day after, the day after that, the day after that, I kept being like, mm, but maybe though, hmm. yeah, yeah, mm. you know. And and if, what I ended up coming away with is. I think I appreciate it a lot. I'm not sure if I like it. Mm. That mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot in the film that I, I there's a lot in the film that I do love, mm-hmm. but as a whole, I'd have to see it again. Mm. What yeah. about you? Well, uh, similar, similar but different, I suppose. Like, I, I think for for me, like you said, I I really was, uh, I felt super ahead of the curve on the the, the Adelaide Red Switch, um, and uh, there were, I I think because there's such a, hmm, uh, uh, I think one of the things that's really hard about the film is that so much of it is set up in using a genre the the home invasion genre for 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 lack of a better term for the first third to two-thirds of the film that um that has that has a certain uh velocity that's about kind of always moving forward so by the time you get to some of the stuff in the climax, like the whole idea that Adelaide's career as a dancer is super central to the climax, the showdown with her and Red is uh, this odd, like, I'm like, yeah, that's not like, it's just one of those things of like, yeah, you know, if he had played flashbacks throughout the movie to more of her childhood, it really would have tipped his hand. And so he can't do that. But at the same time, there was such a kind of, um, 
Oh yeah, if if you hadn't had like that one line from Elizabeth Moss's character, yeah, that would come out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's there's such an angle of of that that last ten to fifteen minutes has such a like so many things being pulled seemingly out of the Jordan Peele's butt, but. Um, but like you said, I think that <clears throat> I think the things that I really liked, the things that I ended up liking about it was I, I appreciated that it wasn't just a get out rehash that he was trying mm-hmm. to do something different. I really liked having uh, the family, um, the, the characters, you know, the fact that they all were they, they didn't really seem to be oversold i suppose but i like felt like i knew who each of the characters in the family were which i thought yes super um helpful of course because you know they're they're sort of perpetually getting into um situations of great tension uh the the little change up where you cut to elizabeth moss and tim heidecker's house and they basically get jumped by their twins it was sort of a fun little like way of opening everything yes you know yes um but ultimately i feel like a lot of it really does sort of ride or die uh on the what peel keeps pointing to like you said the tethered's mythology feels like too much but also incomplete and yet i have to admit i spent some time like looking online for people who are like oh here's my theory about what's going on or what this is supposed to mean. And it was really, uh, that part I ended up feeling really rewarded by. Like there was a lot in there. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I came away from the film terrified that there will be a sequel or a spinoff from Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like genuinely going to the, mythology is so present and so incomplete Mm -hmm. that it made me go, he's either setting up a sequel or at some point he's going to be like, here's my Netflix series exploring the tethered or something like that. And I was like, I don't want that. Like, I want this to be its own thing. Yeah. Um, but like you, I, I then looked online afterwards, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. I, I, I wonder how much of, I wonder how much of this was intentional. Mm hmm. Because like you, I looked online, and one of the things I found when I was online was uh, Peel talking about Get Out, mm-hmm. and specifically Peel talking about the online response to Get Out. Mm. And he seemed super tickled by the idea that basically, you know, Reddit communities popped up going, we're going to explain your film to you. Yes. And part of me was like, is he trying to provoke that in us? Mm-hmm. Like, is he trying to, by giving the amount of mythology he gives mm-hmm. and the conspiracy theories that that are part of it. And and also the get out clause, no pun intended, that he has in the fact that like the mythology you get, you get from an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she basically says like, I believe this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to like, I think this has happened. Mm-hmm. And everything you see is from her point of view. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is he basically trying to create uh, a cottage industry of people online who are going to excitedly talk about this film and basically give it a second life as this 
thing to be picked apart. Yeah. And yeah. if the if he is, I can't work out if I like that or hate it. Mm-hmm. Well, I I I get that. I personally feel that a he is doing so, and b uh, I I feel like because uh, c- there's things like, for example, when he showed up at some event dressed like a, precisely as um, Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining, and he's pointed to The Shining as a couple of like that that name got dropped a couple of times on the lead up to it and it's 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 interesting the the how the shining sort of ostensibly doesn't pop up that much in terms of the what's in the movie like there's some visuals sort of the way people wave their you know um Lupita Nyong'o's like waving a bar around that that reminds you of Shelley Duvall in The Shining or something but i think that there was a comment that again i was reading once i started to fall down this rabbit hole that uh peel made noises about you know kind of like people who are like there's a lot of stuff in here that is intentional he's very specifically talks about the idea of he wants people to go looking and that it's a very intentional movie. And I think there might've been another reference. I don't remember by him or the person who's doing the connective tissue about that documentary. Is it what room two thirty seven or whatever? That's the about all the film critics who are, who are, who have all these theories about what the shining is actually about. And I think, Think so. I think that there are those bits and pieces that are there. I think the the part that bothers me is is that they're not. How do I put it? That there's not more of them sort of in the movie. I feel like for me, my particular little axis of theories rotates very much around that time, uh, that that great moment in the movie where. Someone in the family is like, who are you? And Red says... And they say, we're Americans. We're Americans. And that's and that's and that has such a great jolt in the theater, like when you're watching it. And, and you kind of don't get enough of that juice for the rest of the movie. And I understand why, because I feel like Get Out is so kind yeah, of... Yeah, I, I, I think that, like, I think if there had been more of that in the movie... A lot of people, honestly, I think, including both of us, mm-hmm. would have been like, he's trying too hard after Get Out. Well, no, 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 no. How do I mean? I don't mean in the sense of like, oh, we're Americans and this is how we live today. Wink, wink. But I mean, like, I feel, you know, again, in the little rabbit hole that I've fallen down, um, uh, I, I think that, that that comment is very – ties into a lot of the stuff that he might be saying or thinking about. Um and I'll put it in the show notes, but just to just to be fair, a lot of what I'm thinking isn't especially original. There was a uh, writer over at Slate who was, or maybe it was Slon, I think it was Slate, who was kind of like, "Yeah, I dug into this movie, and here's what I think it's about." And I and I was like, "Oh, please, that's so reductive." And then I got to the end, and I'm like, Meh. and then two days later, I'm like, "Well, wait, but this bit and that bit." And this bit and that bit. So I, you know, I'm not actually going to bore people with with my own theory, but I do have to say it was kind of fun seeing a movie that a was very open ended like that, and uh, I again a movie where I felt really 
I guess the two things are on the one hand, it feels like somebody is that there's a personality behind the film. And I think yes. that that's one of the super big pluses to it was watching something that felt so particular and distinct um, that, that it kind of felt like, yeah, only, only this specific person could have really crafted this. And so, for better or for worse, um, you know, all the things that I enjoyed that overall, it just ended up being a huge plus sum. But I was very curious to see what you thought of it, because I, I, I don't think of you as much of a, a horror movie guy, right? I'm that's... not. And here's the really strange thing. I was dissatisfied by how non-scary that film is. Yeah, it's not very scary in that sense. Like, yeah. it doesn't really – like, I went in I went in legitimately wondering, is this going to be too scary for me? Right. Because I'm, I'm not a horror guy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I went, I honestly went in being like, I might regret coming to this. Like, this might be something I just like freak out about. Right. And it's not scary. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's interesting. It's right. compelling. Sure. You know, it's smart, mm -hmm. but it's not really scary. Yeah. That's the thing about the tethered. They are disturbing, but not frightening. Uh, you know, it's funny because I actually had the same thing with Get Out, where one of the things I kind of like about Jordan Peele's horror movies is he he seems much more interested in that section of horror that you might think of as like the uncanny or the eerie, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Where it's like the kind of, oh, you get a little shiver kind of thing, but not in a... Oh Jesus! I'm going to you know actually yeah, there, have to there, sleep there, with the lights on. Yeah, know? and there's no like jump scares. Yes, which you I, know, like yeah. like there's none of that. There's none of the like it's it's not the so disturbing that like I've told you before about going me going to see the Blair Witch Project way back when, right? Oh <laughs> no, I don't think you did, or if you did, I, I forgot. Yeah, you must. So have, I, went, but I, forgot. I went to the Blair Witch Project like uh -huh. on the day it came out, and and uh, and I was I was in Aberdeen. I was in Scotland at the time. Wow. And a friend staying with me. I was mm -hmm. living on my own time, but I had a friend staying with me. And I went to uh, the movie with them. Right. And it was disturbing. Like, it was disturbing enough that, like, I was creeped out. And, like, mm -hmm. we went to see at a really late showing and we leave. And it's, like, you know, one thirty in the morning or something and coming back. And it's, like, you know, I'm, I am a little creeped out. Right. right. Mm -hmm. I go to bed and I wake up in the middle of the night and the friend is standing in the corner facing the No! That is such and a shitty been, thing. Apparently, they'd been there for a long time, hoping I would wake up. That right? is such but it a worked. Dick move. It worked. Yeah, I was so scared. Oh like I was God. so so scared. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and part of me going to uh, us went into it going like, I hope there's nothing that kind of disturbing. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I hope right. there's nothing that's you know, I will see something a day later or something, and I'll just be creeped out. Yeah. And it's just not that type of film at all. It, it's it's really not interested in that, mm -hmm. in the slightest. In many, in many times in the movie, it felt like it was a parody of or, you know, loving recreation of slasher films. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It felt very much like it worked in that logic. Mm -hmm. Um one of the things I like about the tethered concept is that it adds a lot of subtext to things that didn't appear until I thought about it. 
Right. You know, like when Red tells, or I guess Adelaide tells, whoever, the the, the tethered version of Lupita Nyong'o, mm-hmm. um, tells the daughter to run. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is like a great like slasher movie moment, right? Because right. she runs and then she's chased by her tethered version. Mm-hmm. But then you realize, like, she has to run because then the tethered version of her can't run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's what I mean? Clever. Uh huh. Uh huh. So it's it's it, it's these like there are these moments that work on multiple levels, right? You know, where you're like, oh, you know, that's that is smart. Like, I like there's more to it than just the the slasher thing. I, I, in contrast, like one of the things I like most about um, the the Elizabeth Moss and, and her family and, and like them just getting dispatched super quickly mm-hmm. was a how really non subtextual that was. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. the monster just came and killed them. The yes. end. Yep. And there was you know, and also that that was the moment of like the broad comedy as well. Mm-hmm. Which again a very slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, call the police turns into Alexa, play fuck the police. Yes. Which is I mean astonishingly broad as a comedy go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But great, yeah. And works in that in that way of like, oh, that's right. You're like slasher movies are also dumb comedies, right? You know, the best eighty slasher movies are also dumb comedies. It's mm. hm. um, funny, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I see your point. And it was like, it was like, sure, of course, like this this makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was with an audience that was unprepared to laugh as much as they did. Mm. And you could hear the nervousness in their laughter, uh, which is a, stra- a shame because, like, it's a genuinely funny film. Yes. I think Us is really funny. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, but like the, the you know, call the police, fuck the police. Like there was, you know, you have never heard a room of it's Portland, in- incredibly white people like being really nervous. <laughs> 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 you know yeah um it's funny so i went to see it uh i guess i must it must have been the weekend it came out yeah you saw it Maybe. opening weekend yeah yeah um and i you know i'm with this i'm in, in portland i'm with this like woke audience because of course i am right and i honestly think at least half the audience were disappointed in the film mm. when they left mm-hmm. um in part because the who are you we're americans moment was the only thing like that in the film mm. you know what I mean? like one of the things i loved about it and one of the things i think a lot of people in that audience with me were disappointed about is that it doesn't make a big deal out of like the race of the main cast mm-hmm. the fact that, like it's a black family who have a summer home yes like who are well off like it it literally it it just like it doesn't make a thing out of it at all because why the fuck shoot it? But if you're watching with a room full of woke white people, right? They will simultaneously like be like, yeah, I applaud that, and also be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know one of the things that is actually fun for me is I walked out of us being like. That can't be his only metaphor, right? Like, because, I mean, it's literally a movie, you know, where you discover there's an underclass, you know? Exactly, yeah. There, there's literally an underclass. There's literally an underground. Yeah, and so there's a way in which you walk out being like, 
Huh. And I was like, okay, it doesn't necessarily rub our noses in it, but it is that that idea of like – It's not subtle though. Yeah. Well, see, and that's it. It's not, it's not subtle. You sit there and so you walk out being kind of like, well, I guess he didn't like hang a lantern on it, but it feels a little too on the nose. You know, it kind of – on the other hand, it's still in a way sort of worked. It's like all these people that you see this happening to – the majority of them do seem relatively well off for the most part, at least at least at least when the dying starts. And uh, and I was like, oh, is that really that can't just be it? And and again, going online and being like, oh, OK, no, wait, there's other stuff where it does dig in deeper. I saw it at the Alamo Draft House, And one of the things that the Alamo does, um, I think, a at first, I thought this was a plus. Over time, I sort of have started thinking of it as a minus. If you show up early, which they want you to do, you know, so you can get in and order your food before the movie starts up, is they play a pre-show um, before the film. So it's not, and it's and it's usually related. It's just footage and stuff that's related to the movie that you're seeing, depending on how heavily they um, are pushing the film. It can be super in there. So they had like something like um, 10 uh, Key and Peel sketches that felt like horror films, you know, and they just had little excerpts. And some of those were actually really creepy. But one of the things that was really funny was by the time that us started for better or for worse, it it was easier to know that the funny parts were intentional and, and they were like really funny. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a thing of like, no, no, no. He definitely wants you to laugh at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, you know, it ended up being more, a, a more fun movie to think about. Than yes. Just... That's what I mean by it being yeah. like somehow easier to admire than to like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think, I think there, there is like, I'm really glad I saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will. I will probably watch it again. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, when it comes to liking it, right. like I think of a number of movies I left the theater and was like, "Yes, that fucking yes," right? You know, in a way that like I just wasn't with this. Yeah, yeah. Actually, one of the things that's very funny is is that um, I, in that sense, I'm like, well, that kind of reminds me of like, because I remember seeing a bunch of bad horror movies in the 80s and 90s in the theater. And the majority of them, you kind of walked out, at least for me, I was kind of like, eh. Like, I went and saw Silver Bullet in the movie theater. You know what I mean? Like, which I don't know if you know, Graham, but Silver Bullet was the Stephen King uh, novella that was originally supposed to be his calendar horror story that he was going to put on a calendar with Bernie Wrightson art and blew up into a novella that was published as a limited edition chap book because it was so meager. And then they turned it into a movie, which is basically two kids, one of which in a rocket powered wheelchair and Gary Busey have to fight werewolves. And it's just, it's well, that sounds amazing. Doesn't it? It really is genuinely. I'm sure people are going to be like, hey, I kind of liked it. Or like, I'm I'm sort of excited to see this remake of Pet Cemetery because I remember seeing the first Pet Cemetery. I think pretty much an opening weekend and being like, wow, this is this is really terrible. You know, so I'm like, yeah, let's 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 try and get a scary movie out of this damn scary book. All of which is to say. 
us. I walked out being like, well, he did it. He made, he, he managed to make a horror movie that was just like watching the horror movies of old for me, <laughs> except, except I ended up thinking about it more. And in that sense, I, I sort of have that feeling of like, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see where Peel goes in his career. Clearly, of course, there's the Twilight Zone, Rod Serling stuff, but he's Have also, you watched it? No, no. Uh, CBS All Access is kind of a tough sell for me. The first episode is on YouTube. Oh, I should check that out. The Nightmare at 30,000 feet or whatever. No, the, the comedian, the Camille Nanjani one. Oh, huh. And is it good? Did you see it? It's fine. <laughs> uh, but no, because here's the thing. The terrible secret about the Twilight Zone is, of course, the Twilight Zone is at best shaky. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, it's it's always been an uneven series. It's always been something that relies very much on not only is the high concept good, but is the execution good? Yeah. And one of the problems about the comedian is a it does not need to be an hour long. Mm-hmm. B you the problem that you always have with fiction about comedians mm-hmm. you have to make the jokes funny. Right, which is really hard. You know. Uh, which is in part explained away by the concept of the show, mm-hmm. but also it's surprisingly unfunny. Mm-hmm. That that takes you out of it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be lying if I said that my favorite part of it was anything other than Jordan Peele's introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he sets a lovely tone of uh, he's kind. His performance is weirdly wooden and synthetic in a way that I love. <laughs> like it feels almost like he's doing a parody of Rod Serling. Wow! But I kind of love that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's yeah, it's fine. But I mean, that's a you know, I left us thinking as well. Like hey, you know, this could have been a Twilight Zone episode, right? You could have removed a lot from us and still kept all of the valuable stuff in there and told it in half an hour or an hour. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. No, like, and and then arguably it might have been better. It might have been better if you if you stripped everything else out. Yeah, it's the funny thing about us, isn't it? It's it's because it's so shaggy. You're sort of like, yeah, trim it down, and you sort of like think that yeah, it'd be a fine hour, or else it'd be a really great six hours or really ultimately interminable six hours who knows because it's kind of because it is interesting that he really is kind of swinging for the epic undertone on that which is just like huh oh i gotta give you credit i don't think that anyone was expecting that that's where i was like i mentioned the twilight zone i sort of feel like um peel is sort of stuck between not stuck but it's like there's the Rod Serling influence, and then there's sort of the Clive Barker influence, and I'm yes. sort of, I'll, I'll be curious to see sort of whether he can, uh, if he continues to to serve both, or if he makes a break, or if he somehow manages to combine them in a way that'll be really startling. But uh, I I. Let, like I really don't want him to make another horror film next. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I know what you mean. I think that uh, part of me is like, of course, I'm like, yeah, I should crank out another five or six. But the people who talked about Get Out, like as if it was almost closer to a Buñuel movie, like I kind of do sort of would like to see him do 
a slice of life movie that it has more elements of the uncanny in it, I guess. Rather I, than just I, honestly, it's, if he hadn't, if he wasn't also doing the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd have had that reaction. Mm-hmm. But part of me is like, okay, I feel like you have kind of. I think if his next film is is another like you know ooh, things are creepy, right. what what is going on? What does this say about the modern world? I feel like he's become M Night Shyamalan, right? Right. You know, and it's like he, he, no, you're you're better than that, dude. Do something different, right? Um, we'll see. I mean, yeah, who, who knows? Um, but it was it, us was interesting and memorable, mm-hmm. and honestly, they're. You know, like I said, I saw Captain Marvel last night, and I, I Sam rather last night, mm-hmm. and I liked it. And I'd be lying if I said that I'm going to be thinking about it tomorrow. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and Captain Marvel, the only thing I was thinking about a couple of days later was like, oh, I was really disappointed in that. <laughs> so again, like you know, us being being memorable in that sense feels like victory. Yeah. No. Exactly. You're kind of aware, and it's funny when we get around to talking about the comics, which in theory we're supposed to be doing. At some point during this podcast, uh, it is uh, is I had a lot of less than memorable comic reads this week and trying to uh, last two weeks, really. And so I was jotting down my notes being like, oh, God, what did I read? Like, fuck, what am I going to be able to talk <laughs> oh, no, about? I, I, I had that thought this, this afternoon as well. Yeah. Um, before we move off movies altogether, you talked about the pre-show at the Alamo Draft House. Yes. Uh, I'm spoiled in Portland. Portland has a lot of great independent theaters. Yeah. Like a lot. You know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally that's where I go to. Do you know what I mean? Like I go mm-hmm. to the Baghdad. I go to Laurelhurst. You know, I, I go to something smaller. Mm-hmm. Shazam's not playing in any of those. Shazam's playing on, on the, the Regal chain. Mm-hmm. Which again is, is, you know, local. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I can get there. I can walk there in like half an hour. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I don't normally go, so I go and two things. One, it's far more expensive than the other than the indie theaters. Which, first of all, I was like, "Oh my god, why is this so expensive?" Oh, that's why. Right. Secondly, I want to say there was at least half an hour of trailers, which I'm just not used to. Yeah, like oh. at least half an hour of trailers. Mm. In fact, I'm going to look up how long Shazam actually is because uh, I, I do have to say Alamo long pre-show, but they will, uh, you know, but you can show up the last minute or whatever the trailers do run long there like god i don't remember what i went and saw there before this if it was a jackie chan movie or whatever but i or maybe maybe it was us but i i was like huh yeah there was about 20 minutes of trailers you know which is yeah and i and i was like exhausted by the trailers <laughs> I, by, the, by the end i was just like fuck it, i'll go home now <laughs> like really I, i'm done how can there be another trailer what the <laughs> Jesus, stop with the trailers, please. Just stop. That is too like, funny. Like, oh, God. And it didn't help that I actually got there much earlier than I meant to. Mm. Uh, and so there was also the the like the like pre-trailer show. Oh, God, right. Yeah. Which, Jeff, it's surreal. Yeah. There's this thing called Nuvi. And Nuvi is like the generic, you know we're going to go behind the scenes of blah, 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 film. Right. And yes. then blah, blah, blah. Like, we're yeah. sure. But there's also this thing where they go download the Nuvia app and hold it up to the screen now and you can play a video game for the next minute. So if you don't, you get a still picture. Yeah. <laughs> and sound effects. Oh, man. 
four or five times. No, really? Oh, that sounds Such interminable. And it goes, and then it goes, are you in the high boards? Come and check it out. I'm watching this going, and then it goes, get ready, it's time to play again. And sure enough, there was another game immediately afterwards. For a minute, a solid minute. I, I was I I really had that moment of like I have been spoiled by these other theaters. Yeah, completely. you know, you go to McMenamin's theater, you go to the Baghdad or something, and sure enough, you get like the pre-show thing, but it's literally them being like, "Here's the other McMenamin's things that are you Isn't know you it can great? stay." Oh god, it's like a random old man talking about what it was like to restore the still. Seriously, and you're like, this is weird but entertaining. Let's you know, it's that. not a hold your phone up and then we'll boom. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> That's right. Hold your phone up and and see the latest brew pubs on tap. Yeah, no. Uh, when I stayed last time, I stayed at the Kennedy School and went and saw. God, I think it was Jaws, which was fabulous. I ordered my food. Was there really early, and it was like the most mellow pre-show because, of course, it was just Portland indie hip music playing so you know it was just like dudes on harmonies and banjos while like pictures of the various McMinigman properties and the their their what their specials on tap just scrolled by and i'm like this is unbelievably calming you know what i mean like it's like right? it's, it's yeah nuts. yeah yeah it's if you manage to somehow monetize an asmr video or something you know, I mean, apart from putting it on YouTube, which is already monetizing it, I guess. I was going to say, yeah, I think many people have already done that. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, very, very much. That's how far Jeff is behind the curve. Uh, yes. No movies. They are. They uh, seeing them in the theater is is it can be quite the challenge these days for that sort of stuff. So were there any trailers where you were just like, God, no, I honestly can't remember any of the trailers. I, 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 I honestly don't remember because yeah. uh, it's, I, there were the ones you expect, you know, where it's like, ah, you know, it's Avengers or, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then there's the ones where you just don't expect. And it's, especially because this happened the last time I was at the Regal, which I think was for Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. Mm -hmm. Um, that one I remember really clearly because there was like maybe four or five movies that were like blatantly weird Christian films. Yes. Yeah. No, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Like I saw that movie twice and the trailers were burned into my brain for the first time. That whole like – nuts, right? Yeah. The kid falls through the ice and then, you know, the whole town prays for a miracle. And the fact that that dude from that 70s show is playing the young hip pastor or whatever, I'm like, but, like, literally, I was watching it, like, but he's the devil. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just something about that guy that emanates It's so funny you say that. And I was like, no, see, I didn't even say that. I was like, he's David Duke and Black Clansman. <laughs> Right. There you go. David Duke and Black Clansman. Right, right. How did I forget? Maybe that's why I thought he was the devil. There was also that movie about the dog that has to come home. Yes! It literally ends yes! with him like coming home I, or something. I was like, why? Yeah, I, lo I love that. Where it literally was like, don't worry, kids. It's like homeward bound, but everyone gets home okay. Yeah, it's totally. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they just know that there are people who are like, I want to see your movie about a dog, but you must guarantee the dog does not get hurt in any way. 
It's like, uh... Oh, you know what there was trailers for last night? And there was two trailers for it, which I loved. Wow. Uh, they're doing a, a natural history... Disney have done a natural history movie about penguins called Penguins. Um, <laughs> but, but their gimmick is they're following one penguin for the entire movie. Uh-huh. And the penguin's name is Steve. And Jeff, I'm not going to lie, telling me that you're following one penguin for the entire movie and he's called Steve fucking sold me i got as far as the first trailer and they're like it's steve and i was like well i guess i'm gonna go see penguins then <laughs> so the other trailer comes on and like there may be only two trailers apart like they're not far apart at all wow and it's like mm, you know there are many heroes of cinema and then there's steve and i was like fucking steve like he was an old friend <laughs> like Steve, I loved you in the last trailer, Steve. This is great. And it's like, Steve's going to have to learn to deal with the kids. Oh, look, here he is waddling. He's fallen over. And I'm like, Steve, don't fall over. (laughs) These penguins I am there for. (laughs) Well, this is a good lesson, I think, for all of us. Everyone who's like, okay, well. hmm. Steve the penguin. Steve the penguin. That's like, ladies and gentlemen, this man writes for The Hollywood Reporter. You now know how to hook him. Take advantage of that. So, uh, Jeff. Uh, do you want to know how to hook me? So I am um, you, – you know this, but I don't think the, the – why not know this? Um, we're doing an episode this week, then we're off next week, then we're back in two weeks for Drog. The reason we're off next week is because I'm going to Star Wars Celebration, the, the, the Star Wars convention in Chicago for work. And – I was looking down the panels and everything and trying to work out, like, you know, where am I going to be? What should I be reporting on? Blah, blah, blah. And the way that it's scheduled is there's, like, three big panels mm-hmm. on the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday, mm-hmm. right? The Friday is, like, the episode nine panel, and it's going to be, like, the big one. It's going to be here's the title, here's the trailer, like, everything. And I, I should say, I no one said that. It's just that's what everyone expects. Right. Right? So it's, like, that panel I got to be at. Saturday morning, it's the here's the Disney theme park. Mm. You know, and it's like, that's going to be a big deal too. I should be at that. And then on Sunday, it's like, here's the Disney TV show, the Star Wars TV show, The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I should be there. But I was looking down everything else and I was like, you know, what should I go to? Blah, 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 blah. And then I get an email uh, from ILM going, hey, you're covering this with Hollywood Reporter. Do you want to come and have a special demo of our Darth Vader virtual reality? Whoa. That's all it had to say. Yeah, no shit. And I was like, yes, yes, I do. Yeah. Yes. Holy That's shit. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. Yes. By the way, this I, I apologize if this is perhaps somehow putting you in an ethically uh, sticky situation. But if you ever get the chance to like go and spend the weekend at the whole star Wars resort thing, you know, when they actually get it opened and they start promoing it, a, you must go and B, you must bring me like, I don't really particularly care much (laughs) about star Wars stuff. I, I, I just, I dig, I dig immersive, uh, environment stuff like that. I just, I really dig it. You know, like, I remember back when the Star Trek experience was uh, a thing at Vegas. I went with some friends and my girlfriend at the time. And the Star Trek experience was kind of okay. But the thing that I loved was, you know, they had Quark's store or whatever right outside of it where you could buy various Star Trek 
paraphernalia. And that was okay. But beyond it was a bar that was, I guess, supposed to be a Star Trek bar. But then for whatever reason, the rights thing fell through or maybe Paramount felt weird about like having Starfleet officers sell you hard liquor or whatever. So it just became generic science fiction bar. And that was the best. I seriously, uh, Rob, that there what? is one of my happiest memories, like all time happiest memories was watching a bartender dressed in like some sort of Buck Rogers regalia trying to clean out the ashtrays. Oh my God, <laughs> I was in heaven. Well, what I love is that you just referenced Buck Rogers because when I was a kid, do you remember the Buck Rogers TV show? Oh, of course. The Buck Rogers TV show inspired, and I'm using that term very loosely, <laughs> the Buck Rogers Burger Bar in Glasgow. No, get out. In the same area. No. In the same era, right? And the Buck Rogers Burger Bar was a science fiction theme burger bar in Glasgow oh. where people dressed in costumes and they pretended you were in space and, like, you know, you went through an airlock to get in and everything no. like that. Yes, but they played the Buck Rogers pilot on a loop. Oh, God, those on a poor big people. Screen Holy shit. For, for the entire, like, for, for the entire time. And I went more than once, Jeff. Oh, my God, Graham. I'm so because envious. I fucking loved it. Seriously, how could you not? That's amazing, right? And I mean, when was when was that really? That's got to be like 1982. The, I've got yeah, check it out. Check it out. Yeah, I guess that's right. I keep thinking that Buck Rogers uh, was later. No, wow. No, I no, it was earlier. Yeah, 79. Was it? 1981. So let's say realistically like it was probably 1980, so I would have been right. like 5 or 6 years old. Oh man. So therefore, it's the greatest thing in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is what I remember now looking back. One, it was the darkest room you could imagine. Right. There may have been no regular light at all. <laughs> But, like, there might have been black light. Wow. Like, I remember it being incredibly dark. I remember everything being black. Right. The table was black. The furniture was black. Like, everything was black. Two, I remember ast astonishingly clearly, stunningly clearly, that the outfits were so shit that even me at five years old was like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> I just skipped the outfits a bit. <laughs> Nonetheless, I loved it, and I went. I like. I really did. I would. I would beg my parents to take me. Well, of course. Like I, I loved that place, and I'm sure they hated it because, again, they're adults. It was <laughs> terrible. How could not? <laughs> so, preamble to say, when Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opens up, I can't help but feel that it's going to be kind of Buck Rogers Burger Bar. Oh, of course. I mean, of course. No matter how much. Disney uh, tries, and believe me, <laughs> Disney's amazing to create that completely seamless illusion. And that's why that's what I loved about the bartender is like those moments where real life creeps through, you know, are the parts that are the best. Like for whatever reason, at that point, it becomes something that that I'm just like, I just I just adore that that frisian, you know, like. I lived in LA for a couple of years and as a result went to Disneyland like more than my share of times, especially considering that I was like in my mid twenties and I, I enjoyed it. I'm, you know, clearly I'm not, I'm not someone who hates fun and my God, the pirates is a Caribbean, right? 
But over time, I ended up loving Tom Sawyer's Island, you know? And the reason why I loved Tom Sawyer's Island was you took a boat out there and it was kind of unlike every other part of Disneyland. It was an unstructured experience. Like you could actually sort of run around and whatever you decided to do, you could do, right? Which makes sense since it's Tom Sawyer's Island. Two, there were like the little caves underneath uh, that were um, where people would go and... Uh, you know, because it's some part of the the movie. I forget. I forget who the evil bad guy is that they're hiding from in the you know in in the caves. But you go. So you go through the caves, and one thing to the next. And one of the things that's fabulous about it is that was where all the smokers learned that they could go at Disneyland because it was, I guess, like a non-smoking <laughs> facility. But under the caves, like there was a place where there was like a little hole you could blow the smoke out of. But you were completely, you weren't supervised and there were no cameras down there. So it was dark. So you'd like turn the corner and there'd be all these like 14-year-olds and a couple of 30-year-olds all chain-smoking. And it was great. I'm like, there's actual vice here, you know, because Disneyland is all about this completely anti-septic, completely family-friendly you know, raping and pillaging if you're looking at Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, uh, like, and so it's always about this havoc that's all completely restrained and left on rails. But there you had, you had honest to God vice. And so I just sort of always love those moments. And so for, for me, Star Wars Galaxy, yeah, precisely the moment where you see, you just see, I don't know. And it's a little harder when it's the actual Disney people. But, you know, you got some somebody dressed up as like, you know, you won't be able to tell if they're stormtroopers. But like some some rebel, you know, who you can just tell in their eyes is like just counting the seconds until they can go on break or something like that. You know, or yeah, maybe... I, I'm I'm here's the thing. I love the idea of that, but I'm actually worried that it's going to be just the opposite. It's going to be people who are like true believers in Star Wars. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, like, Do you know what I mean? Right. And like, and they will volunteer. Like, they'll be like, sure. I can speak bocce. Yeah. And you'll be like, you don't have to for the job. And they're like, that's okay. I've done it. I've done it anyway. I've done it already. I've rewritten my entire script. No, but I mean, I know you're absolutely right. On the other hand, we've never seen a toilet in Star Wars, and yet. They have to think outside the design box, right? They've got to be like the idea that somebody got paid a lot of money to be like, okay, we've got to have a bathroom, but it's got to be a Star Wars bathroom. Let's put this together is going to be awesome. <laughs> right? It's thrilling to you. You're it like, is. that's all I'm, I want. That's all I want. Just give me like, you can have the six hour tour of the rest of the park. Just give me two hours with that bathroom. <laughs> Um, no, but it, I am. I'm actually. I, I'm like genuinely nervous about it for that reason. Like that, I, I feel like it could be overwhelming in a bad way. Not overwhelming in a like this is so immersive. I'm actually in the Millennium Falcon. Right. But overwhelming in like a can't someone just admit that this is Disneyland? Right. Right. You know, like, right. can we stop for a second pretending that like we're on the planet? You know, whatever. And there is, I like. I know that the planet has a name. I honestly just can't think what it's called. Oh, um, yeah, in the one. No, that it does. Like, they, yeah. they, mm-hmm. no, they've named it all. Like, yes. the whole thing. There's, there's already like novels and comics announced to tie in and give the backstory of it. Holy like, they, shit. like it 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like already, it's it's yeah. it's all announced. It's um like it takes place in something called Black Spire or Black Spire Outpost or something right. on that rim. And there's like there's a whole like there's a whole mythology already put in place. Of course. Um, but but honestly, part of me is just like, yeah, I feel, I feel like I would just be like, no, no, it's time to stop. Right. Right. Well, we're not. Neither of us are are fans of the Harvey Porter series, as I think we've discussed. Right. And yes. and so you, I mean, because we would know. Like, part of the thing is the huge success of Universal's Harvey Porter experience, right? Yeah, that's kind of one of the big inspirations. I love that you're. I love that you're calling it something else. <laughs> audio podcast like are you worried that someone's going to do like audio search yeah exactly it's like as if we haven't gotten enough cease and desist uh letters over the years no 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 i just think that it's funnier to call it harvey porter because i think that a i think harvey porter's a better name harvey porter's got a lot more character than harry potter harry potter is like eh. harvey porter though you know what i mean like harvey porter sounds like a wizard who's also like a down on his luck you know, sort of private investigator in 1970s Los Angeles, you know, like somewhere between the Rockford Files and Richie Brockelman P.I., Stephen J. Cannell, like created Harvey Porter and it like lasted, except he wouldn't, he wouldn't have named it after it probably would have been called something like Porter or Portertown Blues or, you know what I mean? Like something like all of which is say, we're not fans. We're not fans of the Harry Potter like, you know, and therefore, but my, one of my brothers who is a big fan has gone with his family, I think twice to the Harvey Porter experience and they apparently love it. Like, and part of me is kind of like, Oh no, I, I know people, I know people who are 100% into it and, and right. like think that like the immersiveness is, is like just the best thing. Right. And, you know, let's be honest. We both know people who are going to go absolutely shit about the Star Wars land. Sure. Sure. I, I you know, like, I, 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 I just, there's, I, I think it would be too much. Honestly, I think the Star Wars convention may be too much for me, Jeff. That's what it sounded like, Graham. You're sort of like, I think I might have talked you out of that Darth Vader VR uh, attraction because you just might be like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I was talking with my friend Jeff, and uh, I just realized I don't want anything uh, that this immersive. No, you, you know, you know what my fear is about the Star Wars convention. No seriousness. Um, it's a long show. Yeah, you said like, it's. Like... I, I am there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, and it also yeah. runs Monday. I'm not there for Monday, but it also runs on Monday. Really? Wow! Like five day show that's just about one franchise. Yeah, like seems exhaust if and exhausting. <laughs> you nice know, like I, you know, it's it, no, but it's not like you know, Comic Con mm-hmm. where. You can switch subjects if you get burned out. Sure, you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's something about, like, and this is just Star Wars for all the time. It's like, oh, shit. Really? <laughs> because that's a lot of Star Wars, you guys. <laughs> you know, I know that this, like, everyone else has, like, done this. But I have to say, like, I would love to tag along, take a lot of acid, and basically write a parody of Fear and Loathing. But, you know... Uh, but at a Star Wars convention, because you're right, that does sound I, a little. I, ba- I basically pitched a parody fear and looking at Star Wars convention. Someone <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, ju- well, no, just because I think it is going to be a really surreal experience. Well, yeah, but really, the real fear and loathing would be doing it at the Star Wars park. 
Yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. like that's that's the place to do it. You do know about Star Wars Park that like Lucasfilm and Disney have a like copyrighted or trademarked Star Wars booze, right? That was that was something that broke this week. Oh no, I didn't see that. I, I have a, I have a, the list of the, of the booze they've they've copyrighted: <laughs> Imperial Guard wine, mm-hmm. Corellian red wine, Spice Ru- Spice Runner hard cider, and Doan white wine. Tonneray wine, Tandoshan ale, Gold Squadron lager, Gamorian ale, and White Wampa ale. Wow. Wow. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's the right answer. <laughs> wow. Mm, wow. But it's, well, it's funny because, again, you know, Star Wars has the cantina and, you know, they yeah, have the, sure. you know, it's, it's kind of built into it. But just the idea of like, and their Star Wars wine. Is a step into reality too much? You know, I see. Whereas I think, I think the fact that they're calling it like you know Spice Runners Ale or whatever, I'm like, okay, that works for me. Because like, it's not, it's not like when Marvel Studios had their, you know, whatever it is, like Hulk Burgers or you know what I mean. Like, there's, there's something like you said. It's introduced in the context, and they also have managed to keep it like within the lines you know it's 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 when they get to the i don't know either jabba's mint julep or they go to the um chewbacca's four loco or no four locks four loco or whatever you know where it's just like it just where they've got to tie in the actual you know johnny walker dark side you know it's like ugh, no you know at least jo- johnny ki- walker dark side is, is the the new god's ale that's coming out <laughs> when, when david Verne gets her movie coming out <laughs> oh that's right didn't somebody sign on to that who's didn't, wasn't there oh you're movie? thinking you're thinking of eternals eternals has um angelina jolie and camilla nanjiani attached now oh right Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what I'm thinking of. Oh, poor new gods. I got to tell you, like, they better they better move quickly and know what the hell they're doing or eternal. You say that, but, like, do you not think Eternals is just going to turn into another Inhumans? No, not really. I don't think so. I mean, may, I, I mean, I, I hope not. Right. But I would not be surprised. No, I mean, I sort of, I, like, honestly, I feel like the Inhumans is, they should all get born to fail, like, tattooed on their foreheads. You know what I mean? Like, the Inhumans <laughs> are wonderful and can never succeed. Like, they just have never, like, back in the 70s, they just, they've never been successful except when they were, they were, like, the most amazing thing when Kirby's doing them inside the Fantastic Four, you know, or even kind of, but even outside, like it's, it's a great idea that at the same time is like the worst idea. Cause you almost can't do anything with about with it, you know, like that's why there's yeah. only really one inhuman story. So the Eternals, I sort of feel like you can kind of get, there's a, there's, there's more stuff that quote unquote ties into the real world, you know, or at least there's more ways to, tether it to the real world no pun intended um considering our last hour of conversation that that i think will just sort of make it a little bit easier you know it's like super race and then there's the evil super race and it's the same thing in a way with new gods i just sort of think that um depending on how they do it uh, how they figure out how to 
how to tie it into the, yeah, but what about, you know, but what do we care about? Then I just feel yeah. like, I sort of feel like Eternals, it's probably going to be easier to find those entry points. So I can see that. Yeah. But, you know, but I don't really have a horse in the race. And of course, part of me just wants the New Gods movie to be awesome. And and I just hope that they kind of just go with it and make it, you know, just build on top of, you know, take Kirby's stuff, build off of it, play with some of the, the other things that people have put in there. Although, come to think of it, God, how is your New Gods reread going? You probably could write, you know, if they haven't, I'm sure they have a film treatment, but like, you know. I, I, in all seriousness, think I might have read every comic called New Gods that DC's ever published. Good Lord, right? So uh, I've run, I've, uh, and I've read almost all the Mr. Miracle comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've read a lot of New Gods now. I can tell you what works and doesn't work. If if Warner Brothers wants to hire me, that's right. I can tell you right now what not to do with mm-hmm. your new gods. Indeed. So, so Jeff, here's the thing. So, you mm-hmm. know, new gods reread the whole shebang. Right. Did you see the thing about deceased? Have you seen anything about deceased so I, far yet? I've. You know, I have to say, Graham, this is a confession. It's one of those things that I feel bad that I've let the uh uh our our audience of whatnots down i have kind of stopped following comics news uh it's like i'll see stuff from you and heat vision i don't think that's a bad thing at all well see that's it i'm kind of like (laughs) at a certain point i just had to i just couldn't take bleeding cool anymore and for whatever reason so i'll go to comics beat but comics beat is kind of like i don't know it's kind of like getting the news like three days late or yes, something? Yes, they, you know? they, they don't do breaking news in the same way. Yeah. Um, so DC is Tom Taylor's new series. Right. They basically announced it and it's like, it's The Walking Dead with DC heroes. Right. And then uh, this week, Rich on Bleeding Cool ran a story that was like, it's not though. Like, I think it's a it's a New God series. Because in the promo for it, it's they keep on referencing like, you know, the writer and he's like, I think that's the Black Racer. I think this mm. is a New Gods book. And the day after that, maybe even the day he said that he published that, DC really sent out to press the first five pages of the comic, mm. which was really unusual. It's not out for like a month or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, uh, here's the first five pages. You can run it whenever you want. And it outright says in the first five pages, yeah, it's a New Gods book. Uh what turns everyone into zombies is Cyborg is sent back from Apocalypse and he is the anti-life equation and he's patient zero. Oh, huh. Interesting. Hmm. That and I is... was like, that's, that's a, that's a weird, like a, it's a, it, it's a weird revelation to give away this early. Right. But also B that makes me more interested in the book. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, there's something very fun about the idea, you know, a, a kind of, oh, the anti-life equation equals zombies is kind of a, it's kind of a fun elevator concept. Like, right? it's vastly it, reductive it, it's in like, a way, it's but like it's that, fun. Yeah. But also, like, it's more fun than just zombies. Yes, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason there's zombies and it's tied into, like, this existing part of DC mythology is better than, like, ah, zombies. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's, there. there's a lot of stuff there that seems very fun. So, huh. That is uh that is interesting. And of course I generally like 
uh, Tom Taylor's stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Like if it wasn't Tom Taylor, I'd think I'd be much more cynical about it. Mm-hmm. But like Taylor is is a really good writer, and as Injustice showed, like brings a surprising amount of depth and humor to things that shouldn't work. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, gosh, so many places to pivot there. Well. Before, so, well, let me tell you, deceased aside or not, I was going to ask off the top of your head what the top three pitfalls to avoid in doing a New Gods comic would be. Oh, God, in doing a New Gods comic? Comic or story, yeah. Stop Mm -hmm. trying to tell the bits of the story that Kirby didn't do. Mm -hmm. Like, don't do the quote-unquote final showdown between Darkseid and Orion. Right, because so many people have done that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, also don't just retread what he's done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can think of at least three different final showdowns between Darkseid and Orion. Mm-hmm. But I can also think of like you know seven different ones stories that are essentially just retreading what Kirby did, right. and and not doing anything different. Um, pay attention to what Kirby set up as the new gods concept, mm-hmm. which a lot of people just didn't seem to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, I see a lot of people writing it as um, essentially like, uh, as if it was Asgard, as if it was like, you know, just a regular mythology. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not created to be that it's created to be metaphor. It's created like the new gods is, is allegorical, mm-hmm. you know, and, sh- and is at its best when it's allegorical. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Oh, that's oh, what is the other pitfalls? Um, keep your casts light. Mm-hmm. Like, to, do not put too many people in at once, mm-hmm. and have a story that is about a human, like a, something that's relatable to humans. Right. You know, like uh, arguably, Mister Miracle, uh, King and Garad's Mister Miracle went too far in the opposite direction, mm-hmm. where it treats the the you know the new gods part of it as uh an add-on and and occasionally like uh obliquely makes fun of it mm-hmm. but, but that still feels truer to me to what kirby was trying to do mm-hmm. than just the opposite right where it's like it's star wars meets thor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's not star wars meets thor though it's really not it, it's it's finding ways to tell stories in metaphor and allegory that, that you can't tell otherwise. Which is probably the reason why, like, the glory boat tends to be listed as kind of the best, thought of as the best new god story, and, and probably one of Kirby's best stories, right? Yeah, but I mean, also, like, you look at something like Forever People. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Happy Land and you have Glorious Godfrey. Oh, yeah, right. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pact, even, is 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 a very easy... Like, it's, it's, it's the the emotional conflict of the pact mm-hmm. like it works in any setting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it, it do you give up the thing that is most precious to you in order to prevent other other people suffering mm-hmm. and if you do what is the cost of that mm-hmm. like how, how do you how do you deal with that and also how do the other people involved in that deal with that mm-hmm. you know, ultimately the orion dark side uh, storyline is is uh, an emotional idea that that is very easy to grasp onto outside of of the science fiction setting, mm-hmm. which is why 
you know, George Lucas ripped it off wholesale for Star Wars. Right. You know, it, but it is. It's, it's, you know, it's something that is a very easy, the, the emotional underscoring of, of New Gods is, is essential. Mm-hmm. Just doing a successful New Gods story. You know, and otherwise you get, bless him, Jerry Conway doing this, his Justice League crossover with them. Mm hmm. It's like, you know, it's Darkseid and he's coming back and he's evil and he's made out of like a building. Is he not? Who knows? Is he dead? Maybe he's not. Oh, but don't worry. Firestorm will zap him and that is the end. You know, <laughs> like, right. what actually just happened? What? Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. It, it's, um, yeah, you've got, you've got to make it human. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got, you've got to have an emotional core. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie, I, I, I've heard more than once that the movie is essentially going to be a Mr. Miracle origin story. Mm. Uh, and it's going to be Scott and Barda escaping from apocalypse, mm. hmm. uh, which I, I think is a reasonable way to do it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we'll see. I, I would actually be kind of thrilled if the, if the new gods movie isn't an Orion movie mm-hmm. uh, in large part, because the Orion dark side relationship is in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you can't, you can't just retell that story because people just accuse it of ripping off Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, switching to Scott and Bart, I'm sure. And again, there's an emotional uh, core there. Oh yeah, right. That that's a pretty easy. In fact, that's one of the, yeah, one of the strongest cores in the in the whole thing. So yeah. In, in all of the the reread I've done, I um. I was surprised to see that the 1980 series, the Mark Evanier written one, mm-hmm. is is by far the strongest. Oh yeah, uh, you were saying this, yeah, like infinitely so, and that's in large part because he occasionally tells stories that aren't really about what people think of as dark as New God stories. Mm-hmm. You know, he he will have like Kirby did, like Dark Side's like, oh, person X is the anti-life equation. Go and get them, random henchmen. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes like an almost Will Eisner story, where it's actually about the person that they're chasing after. Mm. You know, how do, how do they, how is their life impacted by this this epic story that is intersecting with their life momentarily? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that feels much truer to Kirby's idea of the series, but also much more interesting than. It's Orion, and how many times can Orion overcome his monstrous nature? Yeah, yeah. You know, how many times can Darkseid die? Mm-hmm. Because, spoilers, Darkseid's died like five times. <laughs> you know? Yeah. How many times can, can Orion be like, it is my destiny to kill my father, but if I kill my father, what happens? Mm-hmm. Because he's done it three times. Right. Yeah. You know, it's much more interesting to find other ways to do it. Something that is a... Another recurring theme is the corruption of Light Ray, hmm. because he is he is all you know sweetness and light, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 it it's been done twice fairly obviously, mm-hmm. um, and the best one is the nineteen ninety series that that um, Tom Payer and Rachel Bollock wrote, hmm. um, which had, suffers from terrible art. Like, really, the art in that series is really bad, which is a shame because the writing is great. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's really good because, again, Darkseid dies. Of course Darkseid dies. He dies in almost every post-Kirby version of this this, this, this series. Right. Um, but he dies and his death throws everything into imbalance. And essentially Light Ray becomes Darkseid. Hmm. Like Light Ray is so thrown into imbalance that he's like, well, why don't we just blow up New Genesis? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we just devote ourselves to war? What is stopping us? Mm. And it's actually like scary. It's actually, it's 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 chilling mm-hmm. because the joy that he brought to to life before mm-hmm. brings to destruction. Mm-hmm. Like the glee he has, mm-hmm. he brings to destruction. And that's like that's an interesting idea. But again, that's been done now multiple mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so ultimately, kind of what I want to see in the in the. Uh, the movie is either something akin to what Cecil Castellucci is doing in the Female Fury series right now, mm-hmm. which is an origin story that basically is very faithful to Kirby, mm-hmm. well, something new to it, mm-hmm. or something that is in no way an adaptation of anything that's in the comics. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see we'll we'll see what what they do. Um, but it's the, it, I mean, the thing is, has always been the potential for it to be great is is great. The potential for it to be shit is great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, like, indeed. Very, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. We'll see, Jeff. Jeff, I have I have a only tangentially connected in my mind and not tangentially connected for anyone else's mind. Question for you? Yes. You signed up for DC Universe with the news that DC Universe is going to become Marvel Unlimited. Yes. Yes and yes. And I'm how, glad you brought that up. That, how did that go? And also, shall we talk about DC Universe adding 20,000 titles to its, its library? Yes, we should. Because I, I thought that that was pretty important news uh, when 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 that news broke last week. And I, I turned around and jumped on it. Uh, and I was going to discuss a little bit more of that with you. Um yeah, that's pretty big news. Although my understanding is they announced it and then they've got a further announcement that they're going to talk about sort of the how they're doing it, right? Is that or is that my understanding or no? See, that I, might that might be your understanding. Uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Oh, okay. Because weirdly enough, this is this is where I saw it on DC Universe where they were going She's to have say, their... like, I, I quite believe that they – because they, they – they announced it without giving a lot of details. Yes. You know, they're basically like, we're adding 20,000 titles. Right. Sometime. Yeah. It is my understanding, and I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It is my understanding it's happening sometime this month. I don't know when. Uh, yes. They they made it sound like it was happening in April. So I was like, oh, very exciting. I'll jump in. And, of course... I was like, oh, they didn't mean April 1st. And nope. let me see if I can find the – maybe they've got it in their the, – the, the way that they've got their – let's see. It's got to be under trending discussions, right? Because there's a – Yeah, I, I, I've had DC Universe since the launch, and I've never once looked at the discussion boards. I totally get it. And you're apparently not alone. So uh, they – here we go. It's the – 
Um, we here at DC Universe know you must have a lot of questions while we're busy doing the bull ride and feeling the flow here at WonderCon. We would love to hear all your thoughts, insights, and questions about the full, upcoming full digital comics library. Here's how this will work. Submit your question below. No question is too small or too big. Uh, blah, blah. We will close the thread to questions on the evening of Sunday, April 7th. Wednesday, April 10th, we will assemble all questions into one master topic and post our master topic full digital comics library FAQ in the watchtower for your review. So, yeah. So look forward to a summary of all. Wait, it says a summary of all frequently asked questions. What, aren't we going to have like the actual answers at that point? Man, maybe no, they're just, they're just going to give you a summary. Seriously, <laughs> maybe they are. They're like, hey, I'm like, DC Universe never stop baiting and switching. Uh, so- for, from from talking to people behind the scenes, I I would not be surprised if it is happening towards the second half of the month. Oh yeah, I I get that. Just the fact that they've they've they're they're saying that they were going to have their you know answer the questions on the tenth. I was like. Okay, so that's, you know, in my brain, I'm like, okay, so clearly they're not going to do anything before then. Although I've noticed that they have, they added all of Crisis on Infinite Earths and Zero Hour and Invasion and Brightest Day, apparently. Yeah, so. which, I mean, they've, they've been adding, so it's funny, I saw a lot of people on, on Twitter afterwards basically being like, you know, but the reader's shit and it crashes. And part of me was like, I wonder the last time you checked that. Because that definitely was the case when it launched. But they have, in the last month or two, mm-hmm. really in the last month, significantly overhauled the reader. Ah. Um, I, I don't know what your experience has been like so far. Right. But it's essentially uh, the crash. I crashed less for me than Marvel Unlimited does now. Yeah, I was actually that, that about to say. not used to be the case. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, you would know more than me. So I've had DC Universe for a week and what i found was for me the reader was really robust i was able to download a bunch of comics um and then read them and then while flipping through the library i'm like oh i'll just start reading convergence on the fly and that's something reading stuff on the fly i it always locks up with me uh on really? my i never i never download anything uh, oh, um, on on Marvel Universe, you mean, or uh, Marvel oh, yeah, Unlimited? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I, I never, no, on DC Universe either. Oh, okay. DC Universe. So Marvel. Let me back up because I'm clearly being a, a mushmouth. Marvel Unlimited. I do all of my reading in more or less twelve issue chunks. It's like I download stuff for offline use because what I found was between my semi shit uh, Wi-Fi. And whatever was going on with Marvel Unlimited, despite the fact that they've made it better, I can never get more than like maybe four, three or four issues into reading on the fly without it just basically locking up. So, and since that frustrates me, I download them for offload, uh, for, for offline use. So when I, logged on to DC universe. First thing I did was sort of scrolled through, started find, you know, seeing stuff. I'm like, Oh, that looks fun. I'll download this. Oh, that looks fun. I'll download that. And then I read them and it was very smooth experience. And then in the, the 
while flipping through, I was like, oh, I'll see what it's like to read stuff on the fly with Convergence, the ultimate read something on the fly, because that's clearly how it was written. And uh, it was also very smooth. I didn't the 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 complaints that I have about the comics reader are absolutely the most absurdly picayune, which is. There's not enough details about how many you can download. I haven't tried turning off my Wi-Fi to see if I can read them. Like Exactly, if, if they are online. actually downloaded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I am not a fan of... There, It makes sense because you have various multimedia that you have your little My DCU tab where you go and you can continue watching stuff that you've started watching and that's where your comics are. Um, I'm not a big fan of the way they set up your comics with this, like, here's the cover on the left and here's a portion of the inside page on the right. You know, like, I think it's designed for people who are reading stuff, like, almost on their TV. It's got that same um, semi-letterboxing element that the movies and shows have. And I find it really hard to look at. Like, it it just is too much detail. It washes out my eyes. Um, whereas, like, if you click on the see more part, and then it's just the full comic book covers of what you have downloaded or, or are reading, I'm like, that's fine. That's great. Um, and I do have to say that me being me, Graham, I know that I now have access to Titans and Doom Patrol, which people just really do keep saying amazing things about Doom Patrol. But because Edie and I are doing a Game of Thrones rewatch and I can only watch something that I can more or less pick up and drop in like 15 minute increments, uh, the only thing that I have watched slash am watching on DC Universe is uh, Batman and Robin, the uh, Schumacher movie with... Uh... <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to say, like, the, the 70s cartoon. No, no, that would be kind of interesting, too. But no, no, no. I decided to go back and watch Batman and Robin, and holy shit, Graham, that movie is infuriating and enthralling by turns. <laughs> oh, my um, God. I, I would like to recommend that you watch the 1970s Shazam show. I see. I thought about rewatching those because, of course, I saw them when I was a kid, uh, and you probably weren't born. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Fairly sure I was alive when Shazam was on. I definitely never saw it, but right. I'm fairly sure Shazam TV show was was running when I was alive. Really? I thought it was much earlier. I thought it was like '74 or something like that. Yeah, so. I was born in '74. Were you? I thought you were yeah. born in '74. That's wait. When is your Did birth year? Is that? your birth year 74? Yes. Well, depending on which part of 74, you're born at the end of 74, Graham. It, according to this, according to the internet, it started in September 74, and I was born in October 74. See, that's what I'm I saying. You ran, weren't even born yet. <laughs> it, yeah, it lasted until October 77, and I was born then. Okay, all right, fine. Admittedly, again, not watching it, but when it came on, I was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to see," because you know, I've seen stills, I've seen people talk about it, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be terrible," and it really is. Like, it was yeah. uncomfortably terrible. It, it was, is, it, it was, it is amazing. That that was a boring ass. T talk about things that, like, as a kid, you watch and you're like, "This is not good." Watching Captain Marvel be strapped to the hood of a car and driven around is 
flying was great. But even later, let's face it, there's something a little fucked up about the whole, like, here's Billy Batson, and he's driving around in across country in a van, like a mobile home, with a guy named Mentor. You know what I mean? Yes, like, I do love that, like, his mentor figure is called Mentor. <laughs> a is called Mentor. B is the most boring person whatsoever. And C, like, the whole, the whole, it's like... It's like Shazam, the inappropriate relationship show. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not, it's not kosher. Like, seriously, if you wanted to cut together, like, a, you know, remake of Lolita starring episodes of Shazam, like, you could really do that, like, far, far, far too easily. Far. Anyway, I say that as someone who hasn't watched it since. So maybe I'm wrong, but I'm glad that you've watched it. Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin is... Uh, horrifying, but I have to say, I love the look of some of the stuff, and he does stuff that I'm just like, you know, kind of like as we were talking about Jordan Peele's uh, Us, there's this level of like, oh my god, this is what he chose to do with all of this money. There's that scene where like, Batman and Robin are chasing Mr. Freeze and Mr. Freeze's henchmen as they get away. And it's supposed to be over the rooftops, but they're literally just driving along the big arm of this statue. Do you remember what I'm talking about? And it's all practical No, but effects. I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll have to see if I can find the sequence on YouTube. Because, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we've discussed this, or at least it's something that I telepathically project out into the void every time we speak. I really love extensive model work in... Uh, movies, which is part of why I adore like Godzilla films and stuff. It took me a long time to realize like part of what I love is all those absolutely unbelievably intricately created sculptures, structures, city structures. So the miniature of this city and the fact that they're doing a car chase, it literally looks like, and I'm sure it must be tiny remote controlled cars chasing each other over a scale model of, you know, what's supposed to be this crazy, insane, Aryan styles sculpture is just it's it's kind of it's kind of great like Schumacher's whole like you know weird like contempt for his audience slash Hollywood slash love letter to contempt is amazing it's just I mean and it kind of helps knowing that it's like oh he's clearly trying to do like the Adam West show, like at the time when I saw it, it's not so much that I, it, he does it differently enough that it doesn't really catch on, but he also does it. I mean, it's really, it's profoundly like, it's not even until the halfway mark that he starts putting in cartoon sound effects, like people flying through the air and the kind of kind of thing. Like, it's just like, you're doing that. Like you're, Oh, That's your choice? That's your choice? But, I mean, there's also shots that are really, like, fucking... I don't know. It's 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 such a weird movie. It's gorgeous. There's stuff that's gorgeous to look at. Like, Arnold Schwarzenegger looks amazing. And, of course, every time he opens his mouth, you want to die. But, like, the scene where they get him imprisoned and they turn on the little heat ray that's keeping him trapped, and he just writhes and moans and of course he's bald and silver and i mean it's straight out of like nosferatu like like 
he like Schumacher's really doing this weird deep dive into all this stuff that he appreciates. Like uh, the influences are so on its sleeve. Anyway, so I could be watching good things on DC Universe, but instead I've been watching Batman and Robin in like discrete ten minute chunks, going like this is great. No, th- th- this is absolutely fine because the first things I watched, you may or may not remember, were the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movie, right. which does actually stand up. But then Super Friends, and let me tell you, nothing about Super Friends stands up. Oh yeah, Super Friends is amazing. Amazing. I mean, again, I just fond memories of rewatching some of that Challenge of the Super Friends stuff and being like, "What the fuck were they thinking?" Even when they're, even when that's the closest you can get to Silver Age DC stuff, you're still like, "What?" But the first yeah, you're, season, you're of like, Super "This Friends. is this is not good." Yeah, the yeah. first season of Super Friends is um is a is a choice. Yeah. Again, watching it as a kid, because I'm like, finally, like a show with all these superheroes. And I've been reading comics for years. And that first season is like, ah, Melvin's got a friend who doesn't know how to tie his shoes, you know, kind of shit. Where it was just like, ah, and he's going to end up being trapped by his inability to tie his own shoes. He's going to be like stuck in front of a train in like a train station that's going to hit him if unless the super friends save him i'm like the super friends have to save a dumb kid like that's that's what we're going to do here the dumb kid really that is 100 percent what they're going to do yeah exactly that, that's it yeah that's, that, i'm sorry jeff that's like just, the first season it. and then there's swimming tips do they have those amazing like tips from the super friends or is that later i i would be lying if i had actually made it through an entire episode <laughs> I'm not joking. Uh, the closest I've come is I've started skipping to like the later seasons where it's got like dark side and everything in it. And even then, there, there's an amazing episode where the entire plot is there's a, a auction, a criminal auction. Yeah. Where dark side shows up not to steal it. But just to intimidate everyone else who wants to buy things. Oh, man. I got to see that. I never saw the later Dark Side stuff. I saw the Challenge of the Super Friends with the Legion of Doom, which really did feel like reworked Gardner F. Fox stories from Justice League in some ways. So they were kind of they were fun, um, but deeply dumb at the same time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, don't worry. Deep, fun, but deeply done uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. For- for for this show <laughs> well yeah so i mean and that's kind of the thing when you when you once you commit to dc universe at least for the viewing stuff i was kind of like okay i'll i'll take the cheese like because there is what there's this this is what i was going to ask so mm-hmm. so two things firstly what do you think of this stuff that's available that's not comics and secondly it took the comics skate to sign up essentially yes um are you looking forward to? Because I mean, I can't. I'll be honest. I can't wait until they add all these titles. Yeah. Because there's just so much shit I want to read. Right. In the same way that when I first got Marvel Unlimited, there was so much shit I wanted to read. Yes. You yeah. know, like an, an exceptional amount of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it for Marvel Unlimited for me, it sort of went beyond that to well, I guess I don't have to buy any more Marvel comics because if it just waits six months, it'll show up. Right. And like DC Universe is a year away; it's twelve months. Yeah, but is it going to impact your purchasing? Do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, we—I guess we'll really see. I don't think so. I mean, there have been because t- I think, unlike you, I tend to be a, a little more foolish with my cash, and so like on. Uh, 
new comics day, I'll go to the comiXology and there's, there's Marvel titles that I'm subscribed to. And like, those are titles that I can be in six months. I can be reading Jason Aaron's Avengers issue that I'm currently reading now. Like in a way I shouldn't have to, um, I shouldn't, like you said, I shouldn't have to spend any money on that. And in theory with DC universe, it should be the same, but in practice for myself, what I find is is that Marvel Unlimited and what I'm hoping for DC Universe is is that that's the stuff that actually allows me to sort of catch up on my nostalgia and or mm-hmm. read stuff kind of in, be- in during the periods where I wasn't paying such close attention to stuff. You know, yes. like, yeah. so, so for me, honestly, there's a, I'm much more interested slash my fingers are crossed that, that when DC universe adds quote unquote, everything I'm more interested in like, okay, I want to read like the nineties DC stuff. Like I, I really, it's not surprising that the first five comics that I downloaded to read on DC universe were the Superman uh issues like 234 to 242 or whatever the denny o'neill reboot did it's really it's the julia schwartz sort of soft reboot of superman where they get rid of kryptonite and you've got the sand superman and all that other stuff that i'd read some of those i'd read as a kid and some of them i hadn't i want to read so i for me i'm like i want to read silver age dc i want to read 90s era dc do I really want to read the DC from 12 months ago? Like part of me is like, I, in theory, I bought those comics when they came out 12 months ago and sort of in the same time, it's kind of like if I've, I'm, you know, I will want to keep reading Batman more or less when it comes out less than I want to actually read it as a trade paperback, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that sort of answers my question. I mean, I would ask that about you, but of course you're basically kind of on the comp list. So I assume there isn't really a lot of DC comics that you quote unquote buy, right? So there, the, well, here's the thing: there is, but it's stuff that I buy. Um, I buy for weird, various reasons. Mm-hmm. There's things that I buy because I want print copies. Mm-hmm. There's things that I buy because I legitimately find it easier to read it in print than in than digitally. Uh-huh. Like I, I said this uh, when Electric Warriors launched, the Steve mm-hmm. Orlando Charles Foreman book. Mm. Like I have trouble reading that digitally. I don't know why. There's something about the visuals of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like it, so I'm buying it in, in print. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other things I buy as collections. Mm-hmm. Like the Tom King things these days, I'm just buying as trades. Right. Because I'm reading them when I get the comp list, but I get the collections when they come out. Because mm-hmm. I, I like, I think they read better as collections, and I like the books, and I want to keep them right around, you know. Um, but I, it, with the idea of, of DC Universe having everything, I think will change how I read things. Mm-hmm. I suspect I will, I will read less comps, as weirdly as that sounds, mm-hmm. and, and like feel okay with with slowing down. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I uh I have to say for myself I'm re- I'm more or less I think at the edge of of peak streaming for me. Like 
DC Universe, Marvel Unlimited, Hoopla, <laughs> and then and then the fact that we're you know we've been doing this rewatch of Game of Thrones, but between it and Netflix, like part of me, you know, the Criterion Channel is launching like probably. I forget if it launches this weekend or it's next weekend, but it's launching soon. And I'm like, I kind of feel that I thought about actually like, oh, I should, I should get that. And I'm sort of like, I'm not really able to watch everything that I have now. And part of me is like, the only draw is, is the idea that there's specific things that I would like to be able to watch at the, at a moment's notice which I sort of feel like, God, is that our future? Sort of signing up to all these different gated libraries so that we can have. I, th- I, I think it is. Yeah, I think like, so too. You know, it, I was honestly thinking we talked about Twilight Zone earlier, but I was honestly thinking like when that ends, I'm probably going to sign up for like CBS All Access for a month, right? And like binge that and, and the Star Trek season. Yeah, that's kind of what I was you know, thinking I, as well. I signed mm-hmm. up for CBS for the first Star Trek Discovery season, yeah. and then as soon as it finished canceled my subscription <laughs> right which, you know yeah because i was like there's nothing else like i don't have this for anything else and i'm not gonna pay i honestly don't remember how much it is let's say like seven or eight dollars a month i'm i'm pretty you impressed know? at cbs's stones like they that someone had a little screen of like how much it costs to join and i'm like just for cbs you know and admittedly some of it is the stuff that you can only get but but at the same time, I was like, who the fuck wants to pay $9 a month to watch NCIS, you know? On right, streaming? exactly. It, yeah. It's it's nuts. Yeah. But no, I, but I, I suspect that I'm going to um, sign back up mm-hmm. at some point when, like, those shows are finished and I can just binge them. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a strange little phenomenon. Um so yeah, I have to say overall I'm excited about what they roll out for for DC. I I I enjoy the product. It's it's kind of overstuffed and um not streamlined and they sort of really need to do a like new to DC new to the app start here cuz they have yes. shit like they're like vote on the latest round of villains in our meta madhouse. I'm like, no, like whatever the fuck the meta madhouse is. Every time they turn <laughs> yeah, around, yeah, it's like, like I don't know what that is. Yeah. No, but there's also like they have some basic things they need to do. They have to they have to add, have a much better search function. Mm-hmm. Like you know, right. uh, some someone else pointed this out, and I said this. Like I wrote something for the for the Wait What site this week, just just about like this news broke and I I have feelings and I'm not to Jeff for a few days, so I'm sharing my feelings here. Um, and I mentioned there, but like someone was complaining that the um, the actual organization of the comics mm-hmm. is is bad, and it's yeah. true. The Flash is under T for the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, right. and it's like no, the Flash should be under F. Yeah. This. Like that should be obvious, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. Like that, that should not be a surprise, right? Yeah. No, no. There's, there's, there's so much. It's very ambitious, and they've got people like Marvel Unlimited. Always felt like God bless that it was the the project of like two or three Marvel interns that really loved what they did, but like were kind of doing it while doing their quote unquote real jobs. And I feel like the, the DC universe thing is like two or three people 
who have so much to do. Like just the fact that there's like daily news every day, you know, and I'm like, you guys actually just need, you know, I appreciate the fact that there's like an open community thing. Like in theory, the meta madhouse is this weird mix of like, you know, we're trying, which makes sense. Like they, they upped all their Shazam stuff. It's like, learn more about Shazam, you know, or like, as you pointed out when they were having the very curated comics um, experience that it was around like the current um, properties that makes sense. But for whatever reason, the, 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 one of the things that Marvel unlimited has that makes it very easy is it's, just the comics and it's pretty it's really easy to navigate in that regard yeah and there are some database goofs that are maddening but some of those things get worked out over time and and it's it's marvel universe unlimited has continued to consistently grow i think in quality it's become a better product over time yeah and that i really appreciate that i gotta gotta give them some i've i've got to be honest I so I was writing this thing up for the, the site, and I was like, you know, there DC has made a point of saying we're adding more than twenty thousand titles to our, our to the DC Universe catalog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at some point in April, right. um, I had it described to me by someone at DC as basically going like, "We're going to flip a switch, and they're all going to be there all of a sudden." Right. Right. Like it's not going to be a graduated thing. So that was my first thought. My first thought is like, are you basically going to add like a thousand a month or something? Right. And they're like, no, no, no. Like we're basically adding them all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, you know, there's some level of that's not true to that. Right. Because I would lay money that what they're adding is everything that's on Comixology. Right. And Comixology has significant gaps in the DC catalog. Yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. really dramatic gaps. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, Marvel, Marvel Unlimited is just now going. We've got twenty five thousand t- titles on there. That's right. Uh, and Marvel Unlimited is twelve years old. Yes, right, right. You know, and so it took them a long time. So DC, like, this really is a big deal for DC to essentially go. We're going to have parity with this, and our app is less than a year old. Yeah. Well, yes, but you and know... for that matter, we've also got the TV shows, right, and but... the movies. And this community, it's it's um, it's bold or foolhardy, and I can't quite work out which. Um, you know, honestly, it's I mean, it's both bold and foolhardy, but I do think that there are there are things that they should be cautious about. As you point out, like Marvel only recently hit twenty five thousand comics, and one of the things that I think that they have done that was great in the three or four years that I've been a subscriber is they add comics at the rate of about 40 a week seems like a good number to me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Cause it's usually all of the six months ago, new comics, which runs anywhere from like 14 to maybe on a crazy week, 25 titles. And then you get, you know, between 10 to 20, um, back library editions. And that is the part that I always think is really fun is like tuning in. And it's less fun to me when they're filling in, like, you know, it's like 18 old issues of the Hulk, but when it's something really weird, like it's like, Oh, 
here's three issues of Deathlock and some, some Submariner comics from the 40s and, you know, the entire run of Spidey Super Stories. Oh, God, if only. Um, you know, that sort of stuff is really... Uh, that keeps me coming back to the app every week. I have to say yep. every Monday I sort of open it up and at least spend a few seconds, like looking to see what they've added. And I think that, I think that the D DC universe app could benefit from that. Just the whole, like yes. we flip a switch and suddenly there's 20,000 comics. Not only are people going to be swamped for choice, but there's no like, there's no buzz. I, it, as you know, like I'm the sort of guy who it's like, hey, just in case you guys missed it, they added 15 issues of Master of Kung Fu on the Marvel Unlimited app. And there will put, be people who will actually fave that tweet because they hadn't checked the app or they're thinking about signing up or they're huge Master of Kung Fu fans. And there's a way to build buzz that way. Oh, yeah. No, one of the things I was thinking about is when everything gets added to dc universe yeah like someone somewhere dc or someone else should really do a for want of a better term like a book club for what's there yeah 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 and it, like a guide to what is available and, yeah. and like you know you want to read more about superman here's like the five things you should read right you want to read more you know God, Batman, that that would be horrendous. But <laughs> well, no, just the amount of material yes. that's already on there from Batman. Oh, completely. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But like, you know, by, by just adding everything at once and not calling things out, mm -hmm. there's so much material is just going to go missing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I I honestly think, and, and this is the... Hmm. This is the part that DC Universe, I think, you know, part of the appeal of is like, I didn't want them to give me a curated comic library, but what I would like would be a comic library curator, you know, where it's like, like you said, someone who actually is like, I can, they're doing some very real basic steps there in terms of the meta mad like the meta madhouse was like meet some of shazam's allies and it was like all of the magic dudes from the most recent team so it was like here's comics with detective chimp in it you know and here's encyclopedia entries for detective chimp and but like also 16 other characters and i'm sort of like yeah but blue devil and shazam are not really that tightly tied together apart from this one idea that's been around for like two or three years with characters that have been around for like 50, you know what I mean? Like I really feel like DC has, particularly because DC's um, uh, it, 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 the, the Marvel cinematic universe is such a wedge and Marvel's sort of able to, exploit that i feel like dc because dc still does things where it's like the Arrowverse isn't necessarily the same as you know their batman movies which isn't necessarily the same as when you see shazam like shazam's a dc cinematic movie but how much it's actually in that universe it can have its own tone i feel like there's lots of ways to get people into the dc universe and the and the dc universe is very multifaceted but but you really need to be able to explain that i guess you know it's that thing of you sort of want the helpful 
platonic ideal of your comic book store guy. You know, the person who can mm-hmm. be like, oh, hey, you like that? You should try this. Oh, you came in because you like this? Maybe you should start here with that. Because that's, that's such a huge chunk. Even even back when I was working at Comics Experience, way back in like 2005, you know, there were still enough superhero movies that you got people walking in being like, okay, like, you know, or they'd walk over to the X-Men shelf and then walk away with their eyes on fire. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you want to be able to guide people into that. And even like DC, like the DC universe, someone had picked up this list of like, I don't know, like, I felt like it was like top five Superman stories or something like that. And and I was looking at it. I'm like, but these are like five different era of Superman stories. Like anyone who's new to Superman like, I sort of feel like you just have to explain the architecture of Superman a little bit, or of the DC universe, so that you can pick up one issue in which he and Lois Lane are married, and one issue in which they don't know each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and yeah. Yet... well, that, that's, that's just it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in order to get the newcomers in, which is what DC universe exists for. Exactly. Like the app. Yeah. The app exists to get newcomers in. Yeah. You kind of, like, especially the way that DC's comic mythology is you kind of have to explain like every now and again everything starts over yeah right you You know know? yeah so you're reading a comic from 1958 you're reading a comic from 1985 and you're reading comic from 2015 Mm -hmm. and that is essentially three different characters who have the same idea and the same outfit right exactly yeah 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 and so sometimes just i swear to god like a a color-coded stripe by the edge of a a comic book cover that shows you, like, is this pre-crisis? Is this post-crisis? Is this New 52? Is this Rebirth? Where it's like, and at any point, the person can at least click on, you know, like there's the legend and or they can click on that just so they can understand what it means. Because it's kind of great, the idea. In some ways, as I've gotten older, I'm much more accepting of oh, this is a comic book universe that that does restart over. Like, there's there's a lot of advantages after watching Marvel's, like, just incomprehensible insistence that they are, that it's the same universe and these same stories are happening to people over 60 years and that's why they've all aged, like, a year and a half. Is just like, I know. I mean, I can't suspend my disbelief in quite that way anymore. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but trying to under trying to explain it in a way that's that's like laying out. You know, Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman will do anything for the money these days. Just get Neil Gaiman to go in and write like a five page intro to the DC Universe comic that's all about the magic of stories and explain how they're like exactly. It'll involve Neil Gaiman himself walking on panel and being like, "Hi, I'm a storyteller, <laughs> the storyteller. I am the teller of stories." The DC universe turns is a massive story. <laughs> right? Exactly. Like that sort of stuff. Just a little bit of DC, that. hire me and I will write a fake new game. Uh, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> They're, they were totally like, ah, oh, that would be the best thing that could ever happen. Like, new game and vows never to work w- w- with DC again, cites DC universe app as reason. There's some, there's some promotion. Uh, 
Graham McMillan, are we? Are uh, we've come close to two hours without actually? Yeah, no, we've not. We've not even talked about. Comedy. Well, both of us said we couldn't remember what we've read this week. Well, okay. Before before we go, I do want to say one of the things that I did read that I really appreciated is uh, Secret Voice Volume One by Zach Soto. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to read it, but I did not. I am. I am insanely behind reading that is not work related right now. Yeah, I. I totally get it. Uh, Zach listens to the podcast uh, and is a, is a fellow whatnot, it should be said. Um, and I really enjoyed this. If you guys get a chance, um, Secret Voice is a very, very odd comic. It's very much in the sort of um, Michelle Fief, uh, Feral Dalrymple sort of new indie comic I don't know what you would call it. Sort of the the new pulp tradition. Yeah, the, of, the new indie mainstream. Yeah, the new indie mainstream. Uh, and and Secret Voice is very much in that tradition. It's gorgeously colored. Uh, I I the characters and designs are fantastic, and it's very much kind of a hybrid of to me like fantasy novel meets manga series meets nineteen seventies. Marvel comics, uh, in a way that I, that just, I really very, very much like he has, he has a very enormous fantasy, uh, world as, as a lot of great fantasy stories do, but he keeps it super grounded. Like it literally opens with negotiations between a mysterious character, Dr. Galapagos and the troll kingdom in which he's trying to negotiate to get them he's he's there on behalf of the the red college i think i've got that right and um trying to help them uh join forces because there's a wooks hang the ravager is actually tearing through all these free states anyway it's it's a peace negotiation that goes wrong that turns into extended action sequence and then it just sort of gloriously blossoms out like a, a, a like a flower from there, and it's really it does a wonderful job of t- giving you questions about the characters. Like you end up really um, wanting kind of to know what's up with this character. There's some very early situations that an early situation that happens where you're like why did that just happen? And Soto is really in charge of, really has a handle on how much he doesn't answer your questions, but teases you. Like at every point, you're very aware of um, that, that. It's not like this person doesn't know what they're doing with the character and the question. It's not like they haven't forgot, but he oh, manages... sure. it, it's literally like, they're just not telling you. They know exactly yeah. what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it very much in that sense, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of the way that like from the very first issue of say Hellboy or whatever, there are questions set up about the character and the origin and their status. That's kind of great in the extent to which you don't need the answers immediately, but you also want that hook to continue to pull you through things, you know, and, and yet it can be discarded when there's sort of the stronger hook of the environment or the supporting characters or the actual story that the character is in takes place. Anyway, I just wanted to say, I, I really I, enjoyed I, it a ton. 
I, I was going to say, I, I've loaded it onto uh, the iPad to take with me for uh, Chicago. Oh, great. Like, I, I, I am going to read for pleasure on the plane, Jeff. <laughs> I'm really fucking excited, and that's one of the things. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. It's good. I guess it's sort of like if you can imagine, like, I don't know, Michelle Fief doing Bone or something like that, then it. I guess that gets a little bit closer. I really liked it a lot. Um, and I, I apologize, Zach, for only praising it by comparing it to other stuff. But I think for people who really want something that has a lot of depth, a lot of depth for a relatively slender volume, um, it's, it's one of those things where I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to wait a long time for the second volume of this. And that's it's always nice when that's the only drawback. But at the same time, I do have to warn you, it it looks like it's going to be part of an epic, but without any of the tedium that that involves. But unfortunately, with the worry that it might be a while before the next one comes along. But really, really good stuff. I'll be curious to know yeah, that, if, if, if that's the downside, then, yeah, you know. I'll be fine. Right, exactly. And I did sort of want to give the shout out to, uh, this was not a DC Universe experience, but close to it. I ended up basically being high as a kite and reading like about half of Batman and the Outsiders Volume 2. And that was an amazing time in the sense of literally I was like, Oh yeah, I think I've read like maybe one story and I opened Wait, it you up. Mean, you mean check. like the second collection of the, the yes. Mike W bar mm-hmm. and Jim Aparo? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I made it a point. I was like, I'm just going to jump into volume two. Cause I've been meaning to start it forever. And I had volume one and I'm like, you know what? Half of the fun reading comics is jumping in in the middle and not knowing what's going on. I'm going to start with volume two and see how it goes. And on the one hand, a, it was great. On the other hand, I didn't remember a word of what I read afterwards. And B, was very much like, yeah, I think I read 20 pages of it. I read 150 pages of it <laughs> and did not remember. So not a ringing endorsement, but oh my God, it was just Jim Aparo's art is the best. And volume two. Oh, is... I, I'm, I'm going to say that it's a ringing endorsement, Jeff. I, that was yeah. one of my favorite comics at the time. Like that and uh, the Just League Detroit era. I want to say are like contemporaneous. Mm-hmm. And I, that, was, that was my shit when I was like nine years old. I totally get it. I totally get it revisiting it because there's sort of, uh, you know, I like Mike W. Barr, but I always thought he was, I don't know, a little bit of a square, as the kids say. And, uh, and it works one of the things that actually really works about Batman and the Outsiders, which stupid me, of course I should have figured this out. I think because of Jim Aparo's art, and this is unfair to say, I sort of assumed that it was going to be, I automatically assigned to it the same traits that I had given Aparo's Brave and the Bold. Brave and the Bold is a fabulous comic, but it's absolutely you know 100% modular. You know what I mean? Like, you don't really have to read it in any order. And there's no subplots or anything like that. But this is actually, it's like, you know, Mike W. Barr kind of doing the X-Men, you know, as everyone was trying to do back then. Or Teen Titans. Yeah. In the the first collection, there's really early on, like maybe issue five, there's a crossover with New Teen Titans. Well, of course. Like, it's really clear that, you know, Barr is looking at that book and being like, okay, how does this work? Let mm-hmm. me try and pick it apart and, and do it again. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like definitely the the romantic shenanigans with uh with uh, Geoforce and what's her name, you know? Uh Deborah? What, what what is her name with the Gabrielle, the the with the Oh, oh you mean Halo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Halo. So the stuff with Halo cuz in volume 2 the romantic subplot gets going on. But Halo's characterization as kind of a you know, sort of Kitty Pride style character. Like I was like, oh yeah, this is very, this is very X Men, and of course it's drawn exquisitely by Apero. And Volume Two has the, I think it's the annual that's drawn by Trevor Von Eden, or maybe it's just the wrap up of the Maxi oh, Zeus yeah, stuff. Yes, that that was that's not an annual. That was that was an issue, and I bought that when it came out. Oh, and wow. that like. That looked in such a way that it blew my fucking mind. Yes, yeah. Well, you know Trevor Von Eden. That guy's the jam. So I mean, but also like so amazingly unlike Aparo's work. Yes. No, that's the thing that's kind of crazy about it. So, you know, and there's an issue by Bill Willingham back when he's drawing, and Willingham I knew his stuff from Elementals. It it gets the job done. But like being able to have something that can go from Von Eden to Aparo, I was like. It just, you know, for the eyes, it's a gorgeous thing. And then it's just such a very, um, I don't know, just just, just a, it, a simple book in a way that really warmed my heart. Like it was kind of, it was kind of a perfect read. Uh, even though yeah, when you're I, like. Yeah, I, I genuinely, yeah. like you're right, it's utterly forgettable, but that's kind of the appeal. Mm-hmm, hmm Yeah, well, I mean, that, admittedly, that, that's I another was, one when, yeah. but that's another one where, DC Universe is going to add everything, and I will be on top of that shit. Right. Uh, especially for the the spinoff book. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. when they got rid of Batman and they had their own their own run, which I, I don't think I ever read. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep, that... No, it's, it's, the, it's the 80s stuff that I'm, I'm really looking forward to from DC Universe. Well, see, that's it. If they do it right, there's just so much stuff where I'm like, I would happily spend a day reading... Sergeant Rock comics, you know? I mean, actually, I don't know how much Sergeant Rock stuff is on Comixology. Honestly, I'll be happy if they just have some of that mid-era. Oh, man. Like, again, the the, the Denny O'Neill Superman stuff is, you know, I'm not a big fan, actually, of Denny O'Neill's comic book writing, you know, much. And, it, and he's talked before about how Superman was kind of a weird assignment for him. But yeah. holy shit, the Kurt Swan art. One of the things that you can tell Denny O'Neill really dug about, like, while researching the assignment was, like, the old issues of Superman where, like, people would, like, attack him and he would just ignore them while they break guns and boards over his head. Because that's in, like, th- like three of the four issues that I read. There's a scene where people just get so angry at the Man of Steel. They're running up. And, of course, it's like... Why would you – you literally just saw him, like, turn a volcano upside down. But you have guys who are, like, picking up boards and breaking them over his head. And he's, like, angrily talking to, you know, the corrupt uh, UN ambassador or whatever the hell it is. It's – it's and, and it's Kurt Swan drawing it, so it just looks gorgeous, you know. Mm-hmm. That yeah. guy. No, I, I, like, all that stuff is going to be great. And right. it feels like there's going to be an awful lot that will be um, – rediscovered i guess i like th- right. things that things all of a sudden will be i mean have been developed on comicsology but again you know 
people might not want to pay two dollars or three dollars for right. you know just to revisit Curse One stuff, and then they'd be like, oh no, I just remember Curse One's fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there there's a lot that's there. I'm looking for it. I hope that it becomes a kind of resource for people the same way that Marvel Unlimited feels like it's become a resource, not just for people like you and me when we're talking about stuff or reading through stuff, but in the way that you it seems like Marvel Unlimited has become a resource for some of the creators as well and really allowed the people working on the comics to kind of do a deeper dive on things than they might have before. Well, one of the things that I, I loved in a, a lot of Al Ewing's comics is that he basically tells you what his reading material was. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yep. he's like, you know, you might be wondering why, you know, what Rick Jones is talking about in this issue. Mm-hmm. Well, if you read, you know, Incredible Hulk 182, yes. you know, and, and that stuff's great. Mm-hmm. That's really, really fun right. to see basically like, oh, this story I'm really enjoying, this is where it came from. Right. Yes. Well, in fact, the latest issue of Incredible Hulk, he goes in this one direction where I was like, oh, shit, I can't believe. Oh, I know where he's going. He's going in that direction. And it's great because it's like he's literally referencing like one of the first issues of the Incredible Hulk that I read. And I know through his work blog that he's read, you know, he's read his way through just about everything. So, you know, that being said, it's also just a fabulous title on its own. It's really impressive. But uh yeah, it, it's yeah. That's actually that is like maybe the one thing I didn't read for work that I read this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the like the new Immortal Hulk, mm-hmm. and that's just it. Just continues to be just this ridiculously good comic. Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, uh, we have been speaking for several hours. Should we? Should we wrap this up? Is this? Is this the end? I can't imagine. We definitely let's, have this. Let's wrap it up. I'm sure there's other things we could be talking about, but it's two hours by now. Yeah. Come on. Let's <laughs> wrap it up before we get to me being buzzy and weird, which means I'm going to tell you before I get buzzy and weird that uh, there will be show notes for this episode up on waywhatpodcast.com. Uh, you can also check us out on Tumblr at waywhatpod.tumblr.com. You can check us out instagram.com forward slash waywhatpods. Or on Twitter at Wait What Podcast. Jeff is on Twitter at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I T. I am on Twitter at Graham M. That's G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supported podcast, which means Mr. Jeff Lester is going to go wild right now. <laughs> I technically prefer the term buck wild, but yes, uh, you know, we. we uh, it's hard to tell on episodes like this, but uh, we actually um, are continually inspired uh, by the people who listen uh, to this podcast and give us feedback. Um, there are people who drop us little notes on things like Twitter, which uh, totally help uh, rewrite our mind and map uh, in good ways and bad. And um, we should also mention the fine people on Patreon who uh, throw us a little bit of um, coin of Quantlus, I guess. Is that what it is? The Quantlus? God, I really do need to get that list memorized. No and you're, you're buzzing. Uh, it's the, it's, never mind. It's a Star Trek currency, which may or may not even be uh, uh, imaginary. 
Um, <laughs> so it may, not, it may or may not even be. I, I mean, even in the context of imaginary, I don't remember if the Quatloos are made up. But anyway, so it doesn't matter because Graham's buzzing. So we really do have to to, to wrap this up. Uh, but I realize, like, we're really I'm like having such a great time doing Drock, uh, and uh, that is a direct uh, result of the fine supporters on Patreon. The same way that the Baxter Building was, and God help us, whatever we may end up doing next, and. And uh, we are incredibly grateful to all of you, uh, especially Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of this podcast. Um, but all of you, by continuing to listen to us natter on and on and on, and even natter back at us, um, continue to keep us uh, motivated and mouthy. Graham? I might I might still be discussing this, but everyone will be back in two weeks with a new drop in case finals finals three three. Until then, until then. Bye.